now. Oh, yeah, that's better. <laughs> it's better if you're not recording through the mic or the headphone outfit. Okay. So okay. We got there. Wow. Uh, you know, we're figuring this out as we go. <laughs> just so what happens when you transport the mic back and forth every time. Um, ooh, before we get started, let's add a quick note in that we have remastered the first several episodes of the podcast. Um, we noticed that the audio quality wasn't quite the best with our um, recording experience. Yes. <laughs> but we are learning and we are growing as we go. Um, and we have been able to remaster all of those. We think the audio audio quality is a lot brighter, louder, and crisper. Therefore, more enjoyable experience for you to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have republished all of those through our feed and we hope that you go check them out. Yeah, do that. This is the Keeping Room Podcast. I'm Caitlin, an architect, old house nerd, and DIY enabler. And I'm Jake, an old house lover and DIY enthusiast. This is a space for us to share why we love old houses, what they can teach us, and how you can apply those lessons to your home. Welcome to the Keeping Room. Okay. Let's do it. Now, Caitlin. This one's a long time coming. <laughs> I think this this is the reason we're here. Pretty right? much. Like, this is the blog post I avoided for six months and then realized that I had to start a podcast to ever make it happen. So, <laughs> And now five episodes in. Yeah. Now we're six months in again, almost. <laughs> we're Let, finally recording it. Let's talk about five episodes in and you still just finished the notes last night. Yeah. No, this morning. Okay. Yeah, like I literally was writing them this morning to wrap them up we are a professional outfit yeah well you know when it's fresh in my mind that way so it makes sense (laughs) i have okay i can't tell you how many video i had like four hours of video from this workshop to go back through so that's Mm. part of what takes (laughs) okay so a lot of content you got to cut down and yeah so i had and eric anyway okay so here's the thing i went to this historic plaster restoration workshop um, last September at the Belvedere School for Hands-On Preservation in Hannibal, Missouri, which is run by Bob Yap. And if you don't know Bob Yap, you should because he's awesome. He's a preservation legend. Uh, Stacy and Daniel just interviewed him like two – well, a couple episodes ago on True Tales for Old Houses. Go check those out. Plugging her podcast for free. But it, it's a good episode. It's a good way to get a um, – intro into who Bob is and he's a friend of mine personally and like actually cried during the episode because he was talking (laughs) about his heart attack um anyway that was lots of fun the class actually wasn't taught by Bob it was taught by Eric Albach okay he is a professional plasterer out of St. Louis okay he's probably third generation I don't know he talked about learning from his dad so he learned it as a trade straight out of like childhood basically interesting um and went right into it so he's kind of the traditional tradesman that doesn't really exist anymore my dad taught me and he his dad unicorn. taught him yeah. and his dad taught him kind of situation um, um also i do want to mention before we get too far away we've talked about bob yap before because mm-hmm. um, he was also your entry point into old home restoration yes his his window restoration workshops that um, the Tulsa Preservation Commission used to sponsor and they would bring him around Yeah, is how you got started in this whole journey. Yeah, that and owning the old house. But yes, between yes. between Bob and those things, yeah, it's kind of how I ended up where I am. So. <laughs> so kind of a big, important guy. Kind of a big, important guy. He's a lot of fun. He's a really nice dude. And it was a delightful thing to actually finally get to do, um, to go see. Because he'd restored this Italian 8 it's in Hannibal, right? So right. it's kind of across the river, close to St. Louis. Italian 8 brick building or house in probably 20, 20, 30 years ago. This town that was – it's not a very big town. It's a very beat-down town. It used to be like a really happening place mm-hmm. when there were still steamboats on the Mississippi. Um, 
and he does he does Mark Twain um, reenactments. Reenactments. I do remember that. So he looks very much like Mark Twain <laughs> too. <laughs> um, so you know, it's just it's cool. It's a cool thing, um, and it was good to see that. And because I'd heard the stories, and I met his wife because I'd heard the stories of Pat, and Pat is as good in person as <laughs> the stories. She's amazing. Um, so it was a lot of fun. I I am personally excited about receiving this information from you. Um, <laughs> Finally. <laughs> yes, because the new home that we bought has plaster walls all throughout. And plaster is not a thing I am familiar with. Um, I understand it as a concept. I know that you swear up and down that it is better. Um, <laughs> and that it, it takes different skills and different processes from sheetrock, which is what I'm used to. Definitely. Um, so I'm excited to ask you some questions and get more of that information from you as we're we're going through there. Yeah. So can we start with like the super basic? Like what's plaster? <laughs> what is exactly plaster? <laughs> so, well, most people know what sheetrock is, right? Which mm-hmm. is a sheet of gypsum which some plaster is made out of the same stuff that sheetrock is. And it's, there's a whole bunch of different materials. But right. it is a sheet that is rolled in paper, essentially. So the outside and the backside are paper. Mm-hmm. And they screw it to the wall. And they tape the joints with mud and tape, which the drywall mud is different from plaster, is different from lime plaster. All these things are different. Um, we'll talk about that. And that's what you normally have like in a new house or pretty much if you're going to do redo work um, in an old house, people will tear their plaster down and put sheetrock up and it right. makes me want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is it is fast and fairly cheap to install. That is why it happens because it's fast and cheap. And it's been the standard since... 40s, 50s? Yeah, I mean, plaster's been around for a very long time. Oh, yeah. The Venetians did the plaster. Yeah, like... Centuries. 1600s, like, there's plaster in Egypt. He was talking about uh, Eric Allback, the guy who taught it, was talking about plaster in Jerusalem. (laughs) It's just wild. Okay. Yeah, and he went... And Eric, bless his heart, was a fantastic teacher, but he was also very all over the place. So he went from talking about plaster and Jerusalem to talking about water intrusion and efflorescence, which that was wild. But um, I reviewed my videos and it was a lot of videos. <laughs> my my knowledge or understanding of plaster is like, um, and that is that is mostly because the old houses that still survive tended to be fancier old homes and so they had plaster on the walls but it was it was like the only or one of the few wall coverings before that was available before sheetrock well gypsum board is the typical name sheetrock is a brand name drywall is a brand name before that was invented kind of in the 20s it was invented earlier than i thought it was Mm -hmm. um plaster was the norm right and at the point when gypsum board was invented it was used as lath for plaster so it was used as a backer for plaster as opposed to like the typical wood lath so a plaster wall in its essence usually in an old house is your you have your wood studs and mm-hmm. instead of just putting sheetrock nailed to those wood studs there's a thin strip of wood lath um that runs perpendicular to the studs or the ceiling joist and that's about a quarter inch thick and there's gaps between them, so they're about inch and a half tall by a quarter inch thick. There's about a half inch gap or so between each of those, and they just if, like if you've seen a war- wall torn apart, it's all that just like wood stripey stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the plaster is the layers of material that you apply to that, and it's like a putty like material um, mortar. It's just it's a liquid, so it takes an artisan to be able to get that smooth Smooth. and level. (laughs) Um, And the old guys would, and I tried for the life of me to get Eric to like describe it, but I don't know that he does that work so much. He does patching more often than not. He's not plastering a whole wall. Right. Um, That's pretty much dead. And that really makes me sad. (laughs) It just, it just doesn't happen so much anymore. Um, so they would put a screed point, so they'd put like a line across the top 
basically a board that would give them their thickness that they were shooting for. And they'd drop plumb bobs, so basically just a string, Mm -hmm. to the floor. And that would get them how to get that wall plumb and straight. Yeah. Because framing is never straight. No. (laughs) It's part of the fun. And it's part of why people that work on old houses that put sheetrock on go nuts because then the walls are really out of Mm -hmm. square and plumb because the plaster was varying thicknesses to make up for that Mm -hmm. mistake in the framing. Um, So that is a complication. If you take your plaster off, you no longer have even remotely square walls. Well, and a thing that you cautioned me about is sometimes the lath actually serves as a structural member of the framing system. It does. The lath provides more lateral stability than um, just regular sheetrock does. Because sheetrock's not really meant to resist lateral forces. So this is racking of joists. Your basically wall doesn't fall over. Um, Lath is stronger, right? So it's mm-hmm. going to get more tension across those things. Um, so if you are removing your plaster to do wiring or something, which there are ways to do that where you do not have to remove all of your plaster. You can, you don't even have to trench. But even Ooh. if you do, it's not that hard to patch those trenches. Okay. Um, it's it's possible to save plaster wall. And, and that's why we're here. And that's why we're here. And that's why we're here. And some people have gone to extreme lengths to save old plaster. And it was actually kind of funny in this workshop because Eric, while he has respect for the old plaster, he just doesn't mess around with loose plaster. He just he Cups just it chops it out with yeah. a hatchet. <laughs> like literally hatcheting the wall. So anywhere the plaster was loose, he would chop it out and go back with new fresh work. So that is the basic of what plaster is it's multiple layers so there's going to be what they call a scratch coat which that's your first coat which gets your keys through that lath keys being the little bit of goop that kind of folds over the top of the boards and gives that attachment yeah so if you've ever seen the backside of a plaster wall it's got that crazy kind of it looks like the mortar's squishing out or Mm -hmm. whatever and that's that first scratch coat of um scratch coat of plaster and a scratch coat is the binder, which is either gypsum, which is the newer thing to use, or lime, and then some kind of sand, or in this case, we use structolite, which is a gypsum plaster, so it's a gypsum binder, with a perlite sand, which is an artificial sand. So it's a little bit more lightweight. Yeah. Um, it's what they put in sheetrock drywall itself. So drywall is just gypsum that's been air entrained and kind of mixed with some perlite and they roll it out in a sheet and then they put the paper on it you also use perlite in like potting soil yep it's the little white balls that like kind of take up space and allow more airflow and stuff through your potting soil so it's super light and i always thought it was just styrofoam and come to find out that's not true no apparently it's not true (laughs) and it's wild that that's what they put in in some plasters. Now, yeah. you can still get lime plaster um, mixes as well. That's a whole lot more complicated. Now, I did not learn to use that. That's not how Eric works. Okay. Um, he uses gypsum because he's a tradesman, right? So he's got a – so the difference between lime and gypsum is really cost and setting time. Lime is a little bit more temperamental. It can be really caustic and it can really kind of hurt your hands because it's very basic, right? It's right. alkaline. Um, so it's a little bit harder to work with. And he does not do that professionally now. If you're DIYing, you might have a little bit more time to mess around with. But the feeling that I got about plaster in general is it takes practice. It's an art. You're not going to just like pick up a trowel and be amazing at it. So you're probably going to want to practice. And we actually practiced on, we took a piece of sheetrock. Mm-hmm. We knocked a hole through it, <laughs> literally with a hammer, and um, hot glued lath to the back of it. So we had a hole with yeah. lath to patch and learn on. And I brought mine home <laughs> <They're> <laughs> in my garage. <laughs> You mentioned um, it takes practice, and if you're DIYing, um, does it matter if you have gypsum plaster already on your walls or lime plaster that you go back with the same, or is it okay to kind of mix and match? So this is a matter of opinion. Eric said it was fine. We're gonna we're gonna trust him, but he also told us that 
in St. Louis, which by extension probably also in Tulsa and some other places, you're not as likely to find lime plaster after 1900 because gypsum started to be more prevalent. Um, Lime plaster is better for coastal environments because it's a little bit more forgiving for taking on humidity. Okay. Um, than gypsum is, or so I have been told. <laughs> Again, I have not really, like, I did as much digging as I could to really try to figure this out, but, like, I don't have the background knowledge to really be, like... And also, at some point, we have that. to trust in the authority <laughs> yeah. of, of Eric. I mean, we're going to trust power of the craftsman. Yeah. There are other places to learn about this stuff. Um, Limeworks USA or mm-hmm. Limeworks.us, they have, also have workshops, and I'm like, ooh, I could go take a lime plaster workshop, <laughs> too. <laughs> But that one's in Pennsylvania, so I don't know what's going to happen anytime soon. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, we would love for you to leave us a rating or review on the podcast platform of your choice. We really appreciate the support and it helps other people know the show is worth a listen. The only experience I have working with Lime is when I've made my own soap. And like it is just that little chemical reaction of mixing lime with water is kind of terrifying. Like it, it gets super hot and it like, it will melt plastic and stuff. So I would, I would imagine that if craftsmen were out there working on this stuff and there became a safer, less volatile option uh, that didn't put off noxious fumes, that like (laughs) didn't get incredibly hot and stuff, especially if you're doing this work in the summertime when it's already hot outside. Yeah. Uh, You wouldn't want your walls just radiating heat. You would gladly make that switch over to the easier, cheaper option. So when they worked with lime plaster historically, and now you actually make a lime putty putty ahead of time and you slake it. So you take your lime and you put it in a bucket with a bunch of water and you let it sit there for six months, 12 months, two years. The longer it sits there, the better it gets. So the longer the the hydrated lime sits with the water. The water just hanging out where it's not being exposed to air, the better it gets and the easier it is to work with, the less caustic it is. Cool. Um, you can buy that premix stuff from Master Plaster has that okay. finish um, stuff. So lime putty is available as well. And I think it's really just the putty. This is what I can't understand and can't really figure out. And I'm just like desperate to know. So if someone out there knows, please like write us. But <laughs> it's that the lime putty is just the lime. So lime is limestone that they've crushed up and fired to 1700 degrees. And well, it basically returns like it back idiot. to a powder. I'm thinking of lye, not lime. Oh. Uh, now just feel <laughs> They're like real both basic. It's fine, Jay. Right. What you're describing matches my experience. Yes. So I went with it. I'll take it back. <laughs> I was like, are you making soap with lime? That's no. interesting. No. It's okay. Um, so it's limestone that's been fired to 1700 degrees, and then it basically turns it into this powder of calcium i forgot the word now there's a chemical (laughs) i wrote it down calcium hydroxide yes so lime putty is calcium hydroxide gypsum is calcium sulfate okay (laughs) these are all different things um portland cement which is what is the binder and concrete is actually all sorts of things it's calcium silicates calcium aluminum stuff and a little bit of calcium sulfate which is gypsum so portland cement is a very hard binder which is not acceptable for like you wouldn't want that for walls sounds heavy yeah it's not it's not good for that so you don't want to use anything like stucco or (laughs) portland cement on your plaster walls um you want to stick with something like lime or gypsum and your experience was working with gypsum. Yeah. And my experience was working with gypsum because it sets faster. It's what he uses. Now, I have heard that gypsum patches on lime walls can be problematic. They don't like to bond okay. as much from other people who have worked with both lime putty and gypsum. Uh, Eric recommended you spray your patch down so it's damp when you start. And that tends to kind of help with some of that not wanting to adhere to the existing work. So you're making sure your edges of your patch 
are damp before you apply your patchwork to it so that it doesn't... Are we talking like a light mist or a soak? Like a light mist. Like, so it's just moist. Okay. <laughs> I know people hate that word, but... but no, I'm just thinking there's... All of this is about keeping everything wet and, like, moisture in your wall. And it just seems like mold is going to grow in there. Well, okay. So that's one of the things. The advantages of plaster over sheetrock is plaster doesn't have anything for mold to eat, right? So mold Mm. likes to eat organic material. Okay. So drywall has paper on it. And that's what generally gets the mold on it is that cardboard backing that's on it or even the paper face. Those things get wet, molds like, ooh, this is no, great, no, no. and it eats it. And the other problem with sheetrock is if that happens, especially on your exterior wall, because on an old house, chances are you're going to get water through your exterior wall because mm-hmm. these things aren't sealed anymore. Nope. We, are, we are not vapor closed in an old house system. Um, it's it's a vapor open system. You want vapor to be able to move through the wall. <laughs> you don't want it trapped on one side or the other, or it causes problems with like surface paint. This is why paint in the north is an issue. I just figured this out um, relatively recently. And in the South here, I have a vapor barrier on the inside of my wall. And currently it's pushing vapor against that and bubbling my wallpaper. Mm. (laughs) Because it's super hot and humid outside and the water vapor always wants to move to the cool side of the wall. If you're in the South and it's hot and humid outside and you are air conditioning the inside of your house, that hot, humid air is moving through your wall. Um, that is one of the advantages of lime plaster is it's supposed to be able to absorb that humidity and release it back. It kind of modulates that humidity and okay. it's much more vapor open. Open Gypsum plaster supposedly is not as, it's not as much vapor <laughs> open and doesn't allow the humidity to move as nicely that water vapor to move through the wall. So in addition to not having anything for mold to grow on and allowing more of that transpiration of moisture that we want in an old house, what are other benefits of plaster? Why are you such a plaster advocate? It is much harder than sheetrock. Like it's much more durable. Like everyone thinks like, oh, my plaster is all cracked apart or whatever. It's been there for a hundred years. So, um, you know, old houses move that's what happens mm-hmm. in plaster cracks. It's kind of the unfortunate. There's no relief in that system because it is one continuous sheet. Sheet, um, whereas sheetrock has joints to crack along. Mm-hmm. Uh, plaster will just crack naturally wherever structurally that crack happens. Regardless of that, it is still much more durable. Like if you throw a punch into a plaster wall, you're not going to put a hole in it. You're going to make your knuckles bleed. <laughs> <laughs> You will not be able to punch through a plaster wall. Um, so, you know, it's just easier over time to stand up to the, the abuse life, of, the of abuse life. of life, right? Um, it's a handmade thing, right? So I appreciate the craftsmanship of it. Like those guys out there leveling out that wall by hand with trowels. Like it's wild to see, like to think of that. Um, and it has this kind of, ephemeral finish that is hard to describe that you just don't get from a sheetrock wall. It's not perfect and flat, but that's okay. It's kind of gentle and soft and it has little kind of soft pits and curves and bare plaster is beautiful. It has like really pretty color to it sometimes too. You could actually put color in the plaster finish itself so you don't have to paint the wall. That is like the definition of a fresco is a painting done in fresh plaster. Yes. So a lot of like Michelangelo's work, the Sistine Chapel is a fresco painting. So it is dyed plaster applied. Mm -hmm. And so the working time on those materials is based on how long it takes for the the plaster itself to dry out. Right. I learned that. What doesn't dry? Cure. Cure. It cures. That's the difference. So, okay. That is the difference between joint compound and plaster. Okay. Joint compound is essentially clay. That's why they call it mud. Mm-hmm. And it does not cure. It dries. The water evaporates out of it and it dries. That's part of why it cracks so bad if you put it on really thick because it's lost that volume. You, know, you think about clay soil. When it dries, really, it just cracks yeah. wide open. So that is essentially what drywall mud is, is it's clay. Okay. Um, plaster has a curing element to it. Lime plaster cures by absorbing carbon dioxide from the air. It basically turns back into limestone over time. Uh, gypsum plaster cures by crystallizing, like 
kind of a lot like concrete does. Mm -hmm. Same, same, similar process. It's chemical. It's much faster. Lime plaster cures over a much longer period of time. You have like weeks to kind of work it smooth, where with gypsum you have like hours. Okay. (laughs) Or an hour if you add. So we actually... He had us add some accelerant to some of the plaster that we worked with, which was alum. I think it was aluminum sulfate. I can't really remember. (laughs) He called it alum. Um, You can get it at like a garden store because it's like a potting plant additive, something or other. Interesting. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Um, And what it did is it just like sped up that chemical reaction and actually made the plaster kind of puff. Like it get it. Gypsum plaster expands a bit as it cures, and lime plaster shrinks a bit as it cures. Those mm. are two different things also okay. to know about. And with the alum, it expands quite a bit. So, like, I on my practice patch, I had it perfectly level after the – we'll get to the steps in a minute. But after the brown coat and walked away from it, came back, and it had, like, vulcanized. It had just squished out more, and I was like, oh, shit. And at this point, it's hard. It's it's like rock, right? It's, yeah, it's like really hard. I wish I'd brought this stuck to lace. You could see it. I have a blob <laughs> that I brought back with me. Um, so it's a little bit harder to get it back because you you can sand it. You can't really sand plaster. That's the other, mm. which is the other reason I love it because you don't have to sand it. I hate sanding drywall. It is the worst. It is the absolute <laughs> worst. It's the most terrible thing ever. I mean, drywall mud often has a glue in it it's and it's just stickier than plaster it's just like really hard to work it smooth before you have to get to the sanding stage like you can't really get it smooth i did a decent job of like installing some drywall and i floated it smooth and i was really proud of myself but you still do have to sand it even if you don't have big ridges and stuff to make it look right yeah and just the little bit that i had to sand created such an incredible cloud of mess that got into every crevice of my body <laughs> and every corner of this tiny room I was working in. And it was awful. Yeah. It was terrible. Yeah. So I am very excited to not have to do that thing again. Yeah. But I'm also a little bit hesitant and nervous. <laughs> well, when we finally get to doing your plaster, I'll take on some plaster work. <laughs> as I sit here looking at a dent in this wall. Woo. I mean, that's a little guy. I mean, yeah, most of them are all little guys. That okay, so that little dent. The the little dent that we're talking about is a an indentation from a doorknob yeah. that flew into a wall sometime before we purchased the house. We have quite a few of those throughout the house. That you can probably patch with this is the other thing he had us work with, which was Red Devil one time spackling. And it's a premix. It's really fluffy. And I don't know what that is. I have no idea the chemical compounds. I did not look it up. This is just a spackling compound. I don't believe it cures. I believe it dries like mud. But I think it has some glue or something in it that makes it a little bit more flexible. Okay. Um. So it's good for hairline cracks in plaster. And it's good for like small dents. Okay. So what you're telling me is I don't have to... That you don't have to. Sweet. Yeah. If you have like a a hole in your plaster or, you know, where you could see the laugh. Are we talking like tea saucer or larger? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Somewhere where you can like see the laugh or where the plaster is loose. If the plaster has come away from the lath, then we get nervous. You know, if the, if the, you can kind of push on the wall and see it move. Yeah. Because that means it's not adhered to right. laughing. It means the keys have broken off and now the sheet of plaster that is really just the mud doesn't have that key attached to the lath anymore. Yeah. And it's just held on there by whatever tensile strength is left in that plaster. Now they get tensile strength, old time plaster, they'd mix into that original scratch coat and then the brown coat, they'd mix in hair. So goat hair, pe- I mean, this whatever hair you had. Horse hair plaster. Right. So they would throw hair in there to give it a little bit more tensile strength within its material, less, less liable to crack, all of that. The structure light that we use does not require that but if you're using a lime plaster uh brown coat or scratch coat you would probably want to maybe mix some hair into it do you have to like shake your head or is there like you can buy goat hair and you can just buy like where do you show i don't know you can like buy them i'm sure you can buy it on amazon you can buy everything on amazon (laughs) buy a bag of goat hair um it's gonna get you on a list (laughs) i'm just saying (laughs) 
Real suspicious. You can buy, I think, synthetic fibers, too. And there may be some that come with, like, fiber mixed into. I have not done a ton of research into plaster mixes that are available other than what we used for this particular workshop. And I will link a few of these things in the show notes, some of the other websites that have this stuff. The Structolite is actually hard to find. He can buy it. Eric can buy it at, like, the Lowe's in St. Louis because he – there's enough plaster in St. Louis and enough plaster work in St. Louis that the guys have convinced the Lowe's to carry these things. Mm-hmm. We can't find them very easily locally here. Sometimes you can get them from like masonry supply. <laughs> um, so we used Cal Coat, which was both the brown coat and the scratch coat, which is the two rough coats that you do on a plaster. And then we use, or Structolite, sorry. Cal Coat was our finish coat, um, which is a gold bond product, which is again, it's a gypsum finish plaster. Okay. Uh, so it's much finer. It doesn't have like heavy sand or perlite in it. It's just very silky smooth. To so give you that smoother finish. Right. To okay. give you the smooth finish. Okay. So I feel like we've talked about. We've talked all over the place. <laughs> well, we've talked about <laughs> what plaster is, why it's better, different types. And I think it's time to talk about that process. Like, Okay. You kind of, you tease some of it. Yeah. We've kind of walked some, around it. <laughs> sometimes there's a hatchet involved. There's a misting of water. <laughs> Okay. Vaguely witchcrafty. I will try and take you through the steps. This was chaotic when we did it, so I had to go back and kind of piece it back together. So And and as a disclaimer, not that Caitlin is the most linear thinker that I have ever experienced, <laughs> but she did give me a fair warning that this instructor was also quite unhinged in his presentation. Oh my gosh, yes. So we're gonna we're gonna try well, and make I mean, that that's, a near distance. Part process. of why it took me so long to do the show notes was to work back through and like, okay, how did this actually work? So steps to patch a hole in your plaster. You have a hole where you can see the lath, or you have loose plaster that is just not attached to the lath anymore. Like I'm gonna talk about wall ceiling is a little bit harder because we did not do it over the ceiling. <laughs> he did. He did the patches that we were working on on the ceiling. And this was a three-day workshop, too, so it was a lot. It was physically demanding. It is physically demanding work. Um, and this was – so the other background, we were in a house that was mostly brick, so there was not actually a lot of wood walls with wood lath. The plaster was applied to brick. brick. So a lot of the work that Eric does in St. Louis, it's applied to brick or stone, mm-hmm. especially on an exterior wall where the plaster is applied it's going to be a brick wall. In Tulsa, that's not as prevalent. We don't have a lot of full thickness masonry structures. So is there no thermal barrier or anything? Uh-uh. It's literally just like two layers of brick or three layers of brick and then plaster attached, you know, just right on the brick. And there's enough texture in the brick itself so like for it to key to it so you don't have to add lath or anything but it's fascinating the house we were in even the center wall was brick like there were no wood walls really (laughs) it was wild fascinating it was really wild so and that was hannibal missouri which is kind of adjacent i think that trees were not as prevalent at that time so they were making it out of river mud they're firing the river mud and the bricks they had to have more trees then than we've got I mean, now. yeah, but I don't know. It's just the <laughs> way they built these houses in Hannibal. And they were built kind of mid to late 1800s. So we're like pre-craftsman era, pre a little bit more mass produced. So when we start to move into the 1900s and 20s, things are a little bit more mass produced, a little bit less localized. Yeah. So if you were pre-1900s, you were building with what was available within five miles of the site, basically, right, right, right. or less. You know, you literally go down the creek to get the sand to mix into your plaster to go onto the wall (laughs) which is part of what gave like these wonderful character variations and regional variations to architecture and homes and things it's because you use what you had and so the the finishes were based on those materials and the the shapes of homes and character of homes was all based on how wide of a or how long of a log you could find to span across the ceiling gave you the housing dimensions you want you want the big word yes vernacular architecture Teach me how to flash my wall. Teach me how to flash my wall. Okay. So you start with the plaster. We're gonna go we're gonna talk about wood lath. I'm gonna skip over the we were applying it to brick part because Cool. 
So step most one. Of, most of you are going to have would laugh situations. Step, step one, one, make sure that you have a hole in your wall and you can see your laugh. And the laugh is in good shape. And this is in ref- – I mean, it can be as big of a hole as you're dealing with. I do not know how to do a whole wall. You want to have some edges is what I'm – Okay. So you want to have something to level it to. Right. So, again, this is a this is patching plaster, not installing plaster – From scratch. From scratch. I don't know how to do that. I know roughly how to do it. We understand not in theory, done. not application. We're not endorsing that. Um. So you want to make sure your laugh is in good shape. Okay. And attached to your studs. If there's a missing piece, patch in any laugh. That's step one. Chop out any loose plaster, like, that's not attached with a hatchet. You can (laughs) – that's per Eric. You can reattach loose plaster with things like Plaster Magic. It's like a PVA glue. So you, like, drill holes and you squirt glue through and you, like – Screw it. Screw it to the wall and, like, cinch it back down. Like, that's possible. Eric was not convinced. (laughs) Let's just say he wasn't – he did not think that was a good idea. And also, it's a lot more messing around. If you're a craftsman and you need to come in and patch a hole, you aren't going to come in, drill a bunch of holes, glue the loose plaster back, go away, let it dry, and come back. Like, he's just going to chop it out with a hatchet and put new in and be done in a day. (laughs) I have seen a a neighbor – and and shared compadre of ours mm-hmm. employ that in some homes that they own. It does seem a little more DIY friendly because mm-hmm. you're you don't make the hole bigger. True. Um, the way it works, like you kind of you drill these holes, you put in the glue, and you're like screwing it back in. So that gives like an emotional at ease. Yeah. Now I you're now you're only reform. patching a crack as opposed to a giant hole. Right. Right. And you're you're just smoothing it down at the end as opposed to reapplying the whole thing. Yeah. So I have seen done, but am excited to hear this make the hole bigger. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know which is better, if I'm being honest. Like, it's however you feel. If you're doing it where you screw it back in and you just have to patch a crack, you could probably get away with not doing real plaster, right? Because right. you, you don't really want to skim coat plaster, especially not – you don't want to skim coat with gypsum plaster mm-hmm. because gypsum is very like – As we a, talked about, it gets puffy. Well, no, the, the finished plaster is very fine and brittle. And if it doesn't have anything to key to, so it doesn't have that brown coat to key to, that rough – we use Structolite or like just rough sand to attach to. If you're going over something smooth with it, it'll crack right off. It'll just fall right off. So you don't want to use gypsum plaster for patching or just skimming. You want to use it for it's the finish coat on top of fresh, rough plaster. Okay. Okay. Back to this. (laughs) You have your hole. Make sure the last is good. Then you're going to mix your plaster, which I cannot describe. (laughs) (laughs) There's absolutely no way for me to describe this. We use the Structolite. There's also something called Gypsolite or Gypsum Light. It's the same product. It's just made by different companies. I think Gold Bond makes the Gypsum one and Structolite is just another. Like the foot powder people? Brand. No, it's just that's Gold Bond makes Calco too. Okay. I don't think it's foot people. (laughs) It's just a construction product. Okay. (laughs) We mix it in buckets. With one of those, like, giant paddle mixers. Ooh, satisfying. Eric was sure to tell us, do not mix in the Home Depot buckets. They can shatter. Or, I guess, the big box branded stores. So, like, none of those orange or blue buckets. You want to buy the nicer, gray paint buckets. So, the ones that are actually meant for paint and mixing in. Okay. So, you mix your... However much you're going to mix up, and I genuinely do not remember how much water to <laughs> structulate powder it is or any news, of that. When you buy this product, the instructions will be on the back. Hopefully. And we were going for something that was – it was more about consistency, and a lot of this was about how it feels and not so much about, like, exact formulas. Like, right, he right. had no way to say, like, you add this much to this much. It wasn't like four cups to one cup situation or anything I mean, like that. so were we going for, like, Play-Doh? Are we going for <laughs> – It's – it feels like – what you want it to be – so when you're working with this, you're working with a hawk, so that, like, flat mm-hmm. panel thing with a handle on the bottom and a trowel, which most people have worked with, like, a drywall knife, which is kind of more like a big paddle. A mm-hmm. trowel is, like, a flat – rectangular thing with a handle on the back which is a little bit harder to get a hang of but once you do that hawk and trowel is much more efficient than like a joint compound bucket and knife situation so 
you want it to be thick enough that it stays on your hawk and it doesn't go sliding off. So it doesn't want to be, you don't want it to be watery, but you also don't want to be like super heavy and hard to work with. So like you want to be able to kind of pick it up with the trowel easily and fluff it around. And I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> I really, it is literally something you just have to do and feel. But like it, it's, it's adhesive enough in this state to form a mound. Right. Yeah. It's not puddly, but it's not thick like Play-Doh. It's not like you could pick it up in your hand and squish. Like it would just, it's kind of that weird okay. consistency. Maybe really, really loose biscuit batter. Okay. Is description. I was thinking bread, but that sounds too solid. But like, it's not glutinous. It's going to be like, you know, it's not. <laughs> It has some slump to it, right? I genuinely do not know how to describe this. Okay. <laughs> so you mix it to some consistency that makes you happy, that you feel like you can work with. You load it on your hawk. You go with your rigid trowel. So you don't want to use – you want to make sure you have the right kind of trowel, which is harder. Like, you don't want to finish trowel for this stuff because it's going to – be too flimsy you want something that's got a really kind of stiff edge okay so you can really push this stuff like actually kind of squish it in and make we sure need you it to go through it. that laugh right to adhere yes to attach. yes so you got it and you apply it to your patch and you're squishing it through the laugh but you're not going too hard because you don't want it like completely dripping down the back we skipped a step in your notes oh you have to dampen the patch that's what we skipped yes so before you apply it, you want to make sure that the edges of your patch are damp, which we talked about a little bit earlier. <laughs> and the lath, you want to make sure the lath is just a little bit damp so that it doesn't suck all the moisture out of your Structolite or that brown coat plaster. Because this is one of the things that Eric said probably 50 times. If if it's wet to set, if it's dry and you're dying, <laughs> you don't want to dry it out before it sets okay because it needs to retain the moisture in it so so it can do its chemical process so it can do its chemical process and set if it dries out before it sets it is a problem so we apply that you want to squish it through but not so hard that it's like squished all the way through and running down the back and like just completely not you just want it through the keys enough to just barely fold over if you're looking from the backside, and we did this on a practice so you could see it mm -hmm. um <laughs> if you push too hard and you get too much through it just literally falls off okay so you want to be sure you're slightly gentle hand with this but you're you're still gonna have to apply some pressure to push it through and you fill your patch in and you kind of dig it out so that the center is still low so it's not level with your edges right so because because this is the first coat. Right. This is the first coat. So you've kind of sloped it up to the edge because mm -hmm. you're going to come to the edge of your patch. And it's kind of dished out in the center. So you have space for the next coat. So you let that set up. And depending on what you did to your structure light, because you can add alum to it to speed it up and it will set in like 20 minutes, <laughs> which is really scary. Yeah. <laughs> or, And I wouldn't actually recommend doing that, especially if you're doing this from nowhere or i think it takes like i don't remember what it was we we left it overnight okay because we spent that whole first day talking like the first four hours were just eric chatting at us so all over the place with lots of stories. information yes Jerusalem, water meters lots of information and then we finally built our test patches and got started and finished that so we left it overnight to dry set not to dry it was pretty much it was still damp when we left so like you could kind of see that there was moisture it's like a darker color mm -hmm. and came back the next morning and it is fully set and it is a lighter color was it fully hard yes okay fully hard and when it's hard it is set it's not necessarily dry right then so came back the next day we then mixed up another round of the same stuff so structolite for our brown coat, which is the next coat, which is really kind of the same stuff, I think, as in originally would have been the same kinds of plaster. Those two things are roughly the same. They have rough sand in them. So we mix that up, filled that to level with the edges. Okay. And actually, it did it two ways. It did one where you filled the hole to level and kind of around the outside a little bit with the Structolite. And then just to mess around, we actually skim-coated a large portion of this practice patch with Structolite on top of the sheetrock okay. to give it key so that I could then basically skim, skim that, final that whole final coat. 
So you could potentially skim your walls with gypsum plaster, but you would want to start with some kind of bonding. So you would actually end up skimming with Structolite first and then skim with gypsum on top. How much thickness is that adding to a wall? Not a ton. It was like surprisingly thin coat of this stuff. So it's like the thickness of the sand that's in the Structolite. So So whatever. Literally grains of sand. So it's really just the grain. Well, I mean, they're chunkier than you think they are. And it was really just that over the th- thickness of the wall. Now, I don't know that you would want to do that on yeah. a patch, on a normal plaster wall. This was just to, to practice. Right, right, right. Um, and in my situation at home, I don't have plaster walls except for in the hallway. So I was like, oh, I could plaster my sheetrock. <laughs> so it was really me trying to figure that out. Uh, <laughs> so we did that. You kind of – you do want to kind of get it over the edge a little bit so you have something to key to on the edge. Make sure you can blend this thing out into the rest of the finished plaster. Right. So that sets. You have a note in there that we need to keep it damp while it sets. Are you like standing by with a squirt bottle? No. <laughs> this time we definitely weren't because it set really fast because he added a ton of alum into it. Like we actually on the hawk sprinkled alum on the stuff on our hawk and mixed it in there. So it was like mm. really hot when we were because it was you had like 10 minutes to work with it before that stuff was set. <laughs> he was I like, my blood pressure go up. <laughs> he was like throwing us into the wolves for this. But it was just so you could get a feel for it kind okay. of a situation. But you, if it's dried out, it's that lighter color. And if it's dried out before it's set up, you'll kind of know, I think. I, I really don't know. We didn't experience it. So I genuinely don't know what <laughs> it dried out before it set looks like. But he kept saying, drilling in her heads, wet to set, dry in your diet. <laughs> so we didn't doubt, just missed the wall. Just, I mean, you can miss it. It probably won't hurt it. I know with lime plaster, like the cure time is much longer. Okay. So it does kind of need you do need to go through and mist it and i think that's we'll talk about alex in a little bit but i think he does that when he does that lime plaster finish coat okay. on his walls you kind of missed it for a couple of days situation are we talking like again hair squirt bottle or like garden hose spray down like mist like hair squirt bottle okay. like okay. hairspray mist situation yep. <laughs> like just lightly damp just to spritz just to spritz we're not we don't want to hose it down it's not like when concrete's the same way right when you pour concrete you're supposed to keep it moist damp for a few days it's part of why they throw those tarps on it so that it doesn't lose all the moisture while it's curing gotcha it's the same chemical process so once that brown coat sets once that sets you're gonna go back and you're gonna mix another round of plaster but this time you're doing finished plaster which we used cow coat and this is like the consistency of the finished plaster was kind of like chocolate mousse maybe i'm trying to think of something that like it was very smooth and silky like a heavy nighttime moisturizer yeah maybe that's probably a good (laughs) like a heavy nighttime moisturizer is a good one (laughs) so it it's still again it's gonna stand on your hawk and not fall off and you are able to work it but it's not runny right or not super thick and heavy like clay or you know you're not really pushing it very hard it's kind of it's still kind of light and gentle moisturizer that's a good one then you apply that and that goes in two lifts so you apply a very thin coat of it over your whole patch which just kind of fills the pores and then move on to like if you're doing multiple patches it's like you apply it you go to another patch and you come back to this one it's five minutes you're not letting it set entirely before you come back and do that second coat so you do that thin one that fills the pores and then you come in and do your final finish coat which is where you're getting it smooth and (laughs) you really don't want to work it too much again this is not something i can like tell you how to do (laughs) it's that you have to do it to feel it naturally situation and i will i may put some of these videos in some i mean it's they're not really good i took really sporadic videos on the second and third day because we were just working Mm -hmm. so i don't have a good how-to maybe someday i'll actually sit down and do this again (laughs) and show everyone how this works so that's how you get your finish and you could kind of like you want to you can spray it with a water bottle spritz it gently and kind of iron it so you want to make sure you don't have any ridges or high spots or any little oh i skipped a step thinking of that once the brown coat sets the one that came to level we actually took something called an angle plane which is like a crazy looking sander that has like little (laughs) 
<laughs> it's just, you'll have to look it up. It's called an angle plane and it's a stucco Ooh. tool and it kind of grinds down any little, he called them boogers. So <laughs> any little high spots or pieces of sand that aren't really attached to. So it's really just to knock anything super loose off. Yeah. So it's like a flat board with a handle that has vertical pieces of metal kind of running at odd angles across it. Yeah. And it it looks like the type of thing you would hold flat against the wall. Yes. And as you run it, yeah. either up and down or side to side, it would it's, knock off all of those burrs. Yeah, that's what you're doing. So you want to knock off the burrs before you do the spinach goat. We didn't really do it in order, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and then, which that's what reminded me, is you're wanting to get any um, weird little bits that are sticking up on that final finish coat nice and smooth. And you take a flashlight and kind of – you can he calls it critical light or critical eye and you shine it across your work and you can see better. Mm. Um, Like if there's holes or like weird little shadows or whatever, you'll never get that kind of light unless you have a down light on the wall or something. A wall wash situation. Wall wash situation. But it's, you can like when you have direct light on it, it looks great. But when yep. you do that right across it, you can see all your little mistakes. So you're trying to want to get that because you're not going to sand it because you really can't. <laughs> it, it's, it is where it is. And it's never going to be absolutely perfect. No. But that character, that like slight intentional imperfection is is the warmth and like the quality of the product that you're looking for. in the Yeah. Yeah, that slight, just gentle undulation. And there are different textures that you can do with plaster, which we didn't even get into, Um, like knockdown or skip trowel where you lay it on and then you kind of like don't get it perfectly smooth. So it's got those little like gaps and mm-hmm. stuff. And like you mentioned, adding color in. Yes. And just kind of like giving that swirl so it disguises some of the imperfections a little bit. But yeah. It's, it's a whole thing. So you can add color into your finished coat. He said you could do that, but it would be like 50% lighter than whatever it was in the mix. Because like mm. as it sets it. It dries out. It loses color. You can also do like a lime wash paint. Like those things mm. are where you're just brushing it on situation. Yeah. Um, so to to review the steps to patch that hole <laughs> are first going to be to clean out your situation and get to solid plaster, remove anything that's like loose. Yes. Then you uh, make sure your lath is sound, reattach, replace, repair, anything that needs to be in there. Make sure scratch, clo- scratch coat, um, then get it loaded up, dampen, your pass that you're going to put in, you apply that scratch coat, making sure it gets good adhesion to the lath and does it fully fill in your patch area. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to let it cure. Mm-hmm. Then we mix your brown coat, which is just the second coat of the same stuff. Yep. Load it up on your hawk again, dampen, reapply, but go and level this time, maybe slightly beyond your hole, but really not your right. patch area. Not yeah. really. Let that cure. And then you mix your... oh. Angle grinder to knock down any of the rough stuff. And then that final coat, you go on and just smooth over and get that best, closest, good finish that you can. Yeah. Two lifts on that final coat. So you do one to fill the pores, walk away for five minutes, come back and do your finish smooth coat. Cool. And at no point in this process did we ever use a finish trowel. (laughs) He never let us. He always, what he called them? Playmobil trowels because it was a <laughs> class of students, right? They were just like cheapo trowels um, that were stiff. I think at some point in the finishing, because I was floating a bigger area, I went and stole one of the finished trowels and tried to kind of smooth it. Finished trowels are much more flexible and they don't have the way that the face of it is attached. It's not bolted through. So it has a very smooth face. It's it's just mm. like double stick tape basically to the back of this really okay. thin sheet of metal. Um, so it's easier to get a very, very, like you can almost get a mirror finish on this stuff if Ooh. you really work it. Um, but it makes paint hard sticks. You don't really want to go that. <laughs> like if you plan to paint this wall, like you don't, don't do want it. a mirror finish. <laughs> okay. But yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a great class. It sounds like it was a lot of info. Yeah. 
it was a lot to do. Well, and then we went on and worked on this lady's house. So, like she volunteered her house okay. for us to have this workshop in. And then we actually like patched stuff in her walls. So we did a lot of hairline crack filling with that one time the red stuff, devil stuff. The red devil stuff. So we filled. She had a lot of kind of face texture issues with her plaster where it was like really kind of crumbly. Mm-hmm. And we'd knock the loose off and then we basically skim coated and it was really, I think it was kind of more paint than plaster that was the issue. So we just skim coated over the paint that was chippy with the one time. And then there was a big section of her ceiling that was missing plaster. And Eric chopped it out and did ceiling plaster through the, there was wood lath on the ceiling. Yeah. Um, and did that. But he also did a patch in one of the interior walls that was all brick. And that plaster was almost inch and a quarter inch thick. It was really That's thick. hefty. Yeah. <laughs> Chances are you're not going to run into anything like this. He actually threw chunks of sheetrock into the mix of that. To bulk it up. Yeah. So he, because it was so much plaster that he had to fill. So he, that first scratch coat, he threw blobs on, cut a patch of sheetrock to fit in and squished it in to the um, structurally and then went over that again with structurally. So it wasn't full thickness structurally for that first coat. So we just took up so much area with that that he was working with. So we talked about what plaster is, why it's good, some of the differences in like the materials and things to look out for. And we talked through that process. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the last thing that would be good to kind of wind this down is talking about how much plaster repair would maybe be beyond the scope of DIY. <laughs> Since that is our kind of our lean. I mean, yeah. Again, it depends on your comfort level. Comfort level. Right? So if you're just starting out, I would not tackle the way Alex does it. So Alex Old Town Home actually asked him because he was working on plaster. And I asked him because he was using Structolite in his kitchen. I was like, oh, you're using Structolite. That's awesome. I use that. I'm like, why don't you normally use that? He's like, and he explained to me the difference between lime plaster that he, or what he felt was better mm-hmm. as lime plaster. So he's using NHL, which is called natural hydraulic lime. I guess that's a mix that comes from Limeworks, or he has actually made his own lime putty where he slaked it in a bucket for six <laughs> months. Okay. <laughs> Because Alex is his own special kind of fun. And he very frequently will skim coat an entire wall in this finished plaster of lime mm-hmm. putty. So he will do the he will do the reattach the existing plaster with the plaster magic and the glue and do that. And then he'll fill the cracks in with I think he does use a scratch coat sometimes. I'm not sure, but he's nuts. Okay. So like, yeah, you could you could span the gamut. Like there's days where I think I would tackle a whole wall if I really felt like I wanted to learn that. But starting like if you've never done it before, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be good. <laughs> oh, that is an important part or an important point. Getting that finish done well really is true craftsmanship. Yeah. It's I mean it t- he's been doing this his whole life, like basically, and I think Eric's probably in his mid forties, so he's honed this skill over thirty years, probably. Yeah, it's a skill for sure to be good at it. And in this class of ten or fifteen people, some were starting at a point where they were more confident and better at it than others ended up with. Um, I have a natural affinity for clay because my mom is a potter. So I was actually really pretty good at it <laughs> and felt really confident walking out of it because I was like, oh, it's amazing. I'm really happy with that. Okay. And I'll show you the patches at some point. They're in my garage. Uh just the finish was just so nice and smooth. I was like, I could totally do this. Okay. Walked away with it feeling pretty confident about what the work I had to do in my house. So in my house, the only plaster walls are the hallway, mm-hmm. which are all pretty cracked up. And there's big chunks of it that are loose. And there's a lot of it that is like joint compound smushed in there, which joint compound on plaster is not really... The right choice. Not really the right choice. The problem with joint compound... Is it can re-wet, right? Like you get it wet and it just turns back into mud right. again. Whereas plaster, you get it wet once it's in and it does not turn back into plaster mud. <laughs> now, plaster exposed to water over time does deteriorate the plaster. It will effloresce. That's what we were talking about. It kind of gets this like weird crusty, looks like mold, but it's really just the, the sulfates and the salts coming out of that. Right. 
plaster into this weird kind of foamy white stuff. Um, and it will eventually deteriorate and crumble over time. But it's it's an overtime thing. It's not like you spray the wall down with the garden hose once and it's going to fall apart. So not that I would recommend doing that. But yeah, don't hose down mean. your walls. You're but your walls. But like in a situation where like you have a big water leak or something and your plaster gets wet as kind of like a limited situation, you then may not have okay. to tear your walls out. Right. If you get sheetrock wet, it is likely to be Rip. moldy and you need yeah. to tear it out. So I would like to end this episode with Caitlin's love letter to plaster. <laughs> I I would love for you to just like sing its praises and like sell it. Because you are you have this unique position where you can advocate for these products and its inclusion in in new homes and new construction <sighs> or additions and things. And you've mentioned to me that were you to build a house from scratch, you would put up plaster walls. I probably would. And let's pretend like we can find the person to do that. <laughs> yeah. And this is a real possibility. Yeah. I mean, that person to do it from scratch with would laugh. I don't think they exist anymore because lathers, we're, lathers don't exist anymore. Like, that was actually two different trades. Isn't that wild to think? So, like, there were plasters and there were lathers, and they were actually trade unions. Um, Eric was part of a trade union for a long time. I think he's no longer so one because he does mostly residential, and that's not really union work. Okay. Um, but those things existed for a long time. This lathers union and plasters union, and but the lathers went away as soon as sheetrock became a thing. Hmm. I don't know. I would love to. I would love it to come back. It would make me so happy. It's a product that is more natural, less mass-produced, more hand-hewn. It's much more localized, um, you know, because you can actually use sand from your site. Like, it just – it feels more attached to the place that you're in. Uh, and it you know, you want to keep those trades alive, use those local craftsmen and tradesmen. But it, it's so hard to think about. Like, I can't even imagine. I could not put it in a client's house. I can't imagine what that would cost. That labor would be astronomical because they just – they're so specialized at this point. They're so rare and so specialized that they can charge whatever the hell they want. <laughs> <laughs> it's not – it's definitely not like sheetrock. It's not something you can learn in a couple of days. It's something that you learn over years and – over an apprenticeship situation to be really good at it. Mm -hmm. um, so I would love to put it in every new house that's ever built. <laughs> now there's kind of a halfway way to do it. So one of the advantages of plaster over sheetrock is that it can't really mold, right? Mm -hmm. But there is a product called dense glass, which is essentially sheetrock that does not have paper on it. It has fiberglass. Okay. Um, and it's used and oftentimes for exterior sheathing under stucco, or they use it for exterior fireproofing situations. Mm. Um, it could be used on your interior of your exterior walls where you might have wetting coming through. And then you could do that skim coat with that structolate or base coat and then go over it with actual plaster. So you have a very thin layer of plaster that you're building up over something that's already flat as opposed to starting from wood lath and okay. um, nothing. I just don't think <sighs> – there are other lath products, too, that are available, but they're really more geared for um, stucco than they are for – Are we talking about the wire mesh situation? Plaster, yes. So – and this – we didn't even talk about this at some point <laughs> – would lath fall out of fashion because it was the lather stopped existing. They used for a short period, probably in the 50s, you might see metal lath underneath your plaster. Um, and that is a problem in that it's basically a Faraday cage. So if you in modern world where we have Wi-Fi everything, it turns your house into a Wi-Fi dead zone. Yeah. Um, Terrible they, cell phones. Like there that. is a plastic version of that now. Basically, it's 
plastic that looks like that expanded metal lath. Mm -hmm. And then there's also a fiberglass net thing. But those things on a bare wall, Eric said, were way too loose Mm. to, I mean, you would have a hard time getting it flat, (laughs) I would think. You weren't really selling me on the plaster. I know. Like, I wanted you to. I Well, I mean, I really want it to be, I really want it to be something that can happen in new construction, but I feel like that's a pipe dream. Like, I really feel like it's a pipe dream. But if you have plaster walls, for the love of God, save them. <laughs> because it, they are an irreplaceable situation. That yeah. Kind of like, if you already have that wood lath, if you already have that plaster, even if it's cracked and it's falling apart and, like, you have to trench it or something to get your electrical in because it is hard to drill through a plaster wall. Like, yeah, you can't hang pictures on it. That's why we have picture mold, which I think is even cooler because I don't have to put <laughs> holes in my wall to hang a painting. Sure. <laughs> um, there there are so many advantages to plaster that I just I, – I can't justify tearing it out. <sighs> but, I mean, some people must. But our – I would not go in and tear it all out just because it's plaster. Yeah. Which I feel like was a thing people did for it's a It's a thing that people are still doing. Because unfortunately, people like electricians come in or plumbers come in and say, oh, we can't do that with plaster walls. You've got to tear that stuff out. <sighs> but when you, when you know better, you can do better. Right. Know better. Have that information. Do better. All right. Last minute thoughts on plaster. I wish they hadn't torn all mine out of my house. Oh, sad. I have sheetrock. Do you still have to laugh? No. So there's no hope. There's no hope. No, and that's why I. But that's why I dug into the research of what could I do if I wanted to fix this. (laughs) If I won the lottery, which Brian and I played that big lottery the other night, was like, (laughs) what are we going to do when I win all this money? (laughs) Alec did, and I think he got eight dollars. Oh, he did better than us. We got nothing. But if I won the lottery, the things that I would do, Brian thinks I'm nuts. The Keeping Room is a production of Bungalow Roots Architecture. I'm Caitlin Parker. You can find me at Bungalow Roots on Instagram, where I'm most active, or on my website at bungalowroots.com. And I'm Jake Landry. Follow along with me at Reluctant House Husband on Instagram or on my website, reluctanthousehusband.com. If you've got questions or comments about the podcast, Caitlin and I would love to hear from you at our email address, thekeepingroompod at gmail.com. Thanks for joining. Until next time.